0: If you haven't met me yet, I'm still learning all y'all's names, so I apologize as I uh, figured it out. Uh, Josh is gone today. Uh, he is out hunting a mighty moose. He's got, uh, he's told me that he's not going to get the first one he sees. He's going to wait for the big one. So uh, he's got a, a cool satellite uh, hookup with his his uh um gps something that allows him to do text every once in a while he sent me a text this morning saying he's praying for us and he's got a a message for us that he sent us that uh uh, we're going to play at the end that he wanted because he misses you guys he he misses not being here so welcome to clc if uh you're new with us we're uh, a church that looks to be a bottom rung for people to uh come to god and to get to know god and uh we're working on that. I'm here today because I'm just as a volunteer saying what I can do to help Josh out. And uh, Josh and I were talking and uh, uh, we got some exciting stuff with this new series to uh, share with you. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, pray and we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for this time we have together. And I just pray you would help me to say what's important and leave what's unimportant unsaid. And uh, I pray that you would work in our hearts that we would just Uh, Come away uh, appreciating you more, and uh, thank you for this, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I grew up during the Cold War, and uh, I'm guessing looking around at you, some of you grew up in the Cold War, some of you got to miss out on that. Students probably like, yeah, yay, I missed out on the Cold War, but you're like, was it ever really gone? Well, we can discuss that later. But uh, I don't know. Um, But during the Cold War, there was a lot of fascination with communists and how horrible communists were and i can remember when reagan came into power and he made that famous speech about the evil empire and we're like yeah reagan's gonna be tough and he's gonna he's really gonna help us um uh, have a leg up on this whole cold war thing and maybe we can get this whole thing under wraps and uh um what what was interesting is the communists the russians were the them. They were the bad guys. And Reagan called it out. And uh, um, I, I was fascinated with uh, Russian politics and, and I was following Brezhnev dying. And then there was a couple of presidents that uh, came and went. And then Gorbachev came in. An interesting, kind of unexpected, uh, interesting fellow. And uh, Gorbachev and Reagan had a unique Relationship. And uh, Reagan, I understand, at some point says, you know what, I bet you they are as freaked out about nuclear holocaust as we are. And I bet you they're as scared as we are. And Reagan started, and I don't know who started it, um, I think I heard that Reagan reached out to Gorbachev, started writing him personal letters. There's 40 letters went back and forth between the two of them, three summits. And eventually they became friends and went from they are the problem. Uh, something that, that uh, uh, Reagan liked to say is we don't mistrust each other because we're armed. We're armed because we mistrust each other. And uh, I think he was onto to something there. There was a us versus them mentality. And Reagan figured out how to go, instead of the us versus them, let's get rid of the them and recognize we're all in this together. So let's work on this together. Today I want to talk about a story uh, of Elijah. Last week, Josh uh, um, launched this new series over the um, video, I'm trying to think what he calls it, Uh, what's that? Yeah, Digital Sunday. Thank you. Josh has all these cool terms, and I can't keep up with them all. All right? I'm not good at the cool terms. And he came up with this great title for what he and I were talking about, and it's Better Off Without Them. Better Off Without Them. And he uh, uh, got us thinking about who the them is. You know, during the Cold War, the them was the Russians. So who's the them in your life? The them is somebody, and, and I like what Josh said. He said it was uh, anybody that uh, we oversimplify and say, they're the problem. That's the them we're talking about. So uh, he, he uh, said, we're better off without them, so let's stop and just to recap a little bit what he said, he said, it's distracting to have a them, it's exhausting, and it really doesn't do anything. And he challenged us to do a couple of things. He gave us some homework, so I'm going to check on our homework and see if any of you did it. If you didn't do it, you can do it right now. All right. And uh, he said, watch your language. Are you noticing who you're referring to as a them? Who is the them in your life? So um, not to put anybody on the spot, but tell me what are some thems that you notice in our society? All right. I mentioned the communists back in the Cold War. What are some other thems that people have, anybody have in our society? Anybody? Corporations, sure. Big pharma. Big pharma, ooh, I hadn't thought of that one. Yeah. Management. Management, absolutely. Social media. Social media. An oversimplified problem is the them. What are some other thems? Kids these days. <laughs> I was, my first high school musical, yeah, damn. Politics, yeah. Politicians, Congress, career politicians. What are some other them? The oh, yeah, one percenters. Yeah, there, you go. there you go. Yeah. Any others you can think of? How about gangs or cartels or the liberals, the conservatives, the uh, jihadists, the uh, Christian nationalists, the religious right, Mormons. For me, growing up as the Catholics, so that was the them Believe it or not, grew up Baptist, so that's uh, that's why you know. There's uh, boomers, millennials, like Rebecca said, kids these days. There's all kinds of them's, and and you know some of the them's that are in my life, they make me really angry. And and one of the things I've done this this past week is go, why? Uh, Josh and I were talking, what's going on? There's a lot of fear. And uh, today, talking about the story of Elijah, Elijah had a very legitimate them very legitimate them and uh i want to i want to talk about the transformation that god did in elijah's life so um if you would like to uh, if you want to grab one of those bibles we're going to be looking in the book of first kings that's where elijah's story takes place and I believe it's uh, page 352 in those, those big Bibles that are laying around. If you want one of those, if you want to grab your phone. Uh, First Kings and, uh, chapter, we're going to start in chapter 16. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of... Uh, of the, uh, the them that Elijah's dealing with. Now, 1 Kings is a really fascinating book. We don't usually get real excited about some of these Old Testament books. But 1 Kings is a very unique book. And actually, it's part of a series, hence the reason 1 Kings. But it's not just two books in this series. There's actually four. And uh, the, the first two books in the series are First and Second Samuel. And then there's First Kings, and then Second Kings. And the reason we have a series of books, why they have them, is because their scrolls could only get so fat. And so once the scroll got to a certain size, like, all right, time to start the second one. And uh, um, a lot of times, growing up, hearing some of these stories, it was easy to go, ah, yeah, you know, that that's a story that happened someplace, somewhere, way back in a galaxy far, far away. You know, easy to make it not real. So I want to make it a little bit real for us today. So um, Israel was a very real place. And this took place, the story took place, I'm guessing about 858 BCE, before Common Era. And uh, 858 BCE, this is before Rome has been established. This is about the time that Homer is writing best we can tell, because we're not really sure, the Odyssey and Iliad, all right, so think way back then, this is the time that the Phoenicians are getting ready to plant the uh, start Carthage as a a, uh, um, outpost, as a colony, so this is real history, what's fascinating about this book is we know a whole lot more about these dates than we know about some of the folks in Egypt, even though it was a bigger country. Here we've got this journal of what happened with these kings have a lot of stories. We know some intimate details, some heroic things they did, some horrible things they did. No other nation allowed, the kings wouldn't allow negative stuff to survive. So we don't have this stuff about most countries. This is 3,000 years ago, almost. And yet we have some really good information. So we gotta go into a little bit of history. And, uh, hey, Trevor, if you can throw that first map up. Uh, there we go. Uh, you'll notice on the map there, you've got Israel and Judah. And our story takes place today in Israel. Israel is the northern kingdom. And you go, why are we going into all this detail? Because you need to understand Elijah's them. Elijah's them. Israel used to be the whole kingdom, all the way from the north of that picture, all the way to the south. There's a little tiny dot down at the bottom that's Beersheba. That was the... the uh, 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 considered the south of the country. And, and uh, under David, it was all unified. In fact, David controlled from the edge of Egypt all the way up to northern Iraq into Turkey, where the Euphrates River is. And Solomon uh, had the uh, uh, control of that time period and it was, or that whole area. And he was doing a really good job, but he did something that he shouldn't have done. So the Israel law, the law of Moses, was kind of like the Constitution for Israel. And the Constitution said, hey, be careful, kings, of marrying foreign wives. This has to do with why it's them. Why don't you want to marry foreign wives? Moses said, because they're going to get you to worship other gods. Solomon did that and ended up leading to civil war, almost. The kingdom split into Judah and Israel, and the northern kingdom was taken over by this guy named Jeroboam. You're like, who cares about Jeroboam? Well, his name comes up several times because he had this political strategy that said, hey, if I'm not careful, and if I continue following the Constitution and worshiping Jehovah, everybody's going to want to go down south to Jerusalem into Judah instead of staying up north. So he's like, you know what? We're going to go back to worshiping the calf that we did back In the old days. And we won't follow Jehovah perfectly. We'll kind of follow him. So as a result, God's going, that's not good. And we get to Ahab. Several dynasties later, things aren't going well, so God replaces the king. There's different coups, things happen. Ahab becomes the king. And Ahab, uh, we find, and we're going to go back to... uh, chapter 16 and uh, verse 30. It says, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Now, he was the first king of that northern kingdom. And the sins of Jeroboam said, hey, I'm not going to worship God the way he wants to be worshipped. And he took a wife for his wife, Jezebel. Now, I just want to say, you've probably heard the name Ahab before, even if you haven't heard Bible stories, because it shows up in literature occasionally. But Jezebel is not a name that most people want to name their daughter. If there's a Jezebel in a story, usually it's because they're a Jezebel. They're not a good person. So Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, the king of the Sidonians. So uh, Tyre and Sidon, if you look on that map, it's going to be way up at the north edge of that map. That's where Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon were kind of two principal cities in the, in the nation of Phoenicia. And Phoenician, they were amazing traders, ma- amazing merchants. They were really good at sailing. In fact, so historians think that perhaps the, the maps that Columbus was using to find America were made by the Phoenicians. These guys were really, really good. So it was really politically advantageous for Uh, Ahab, to marry Jezebel. Don't know if she was pretty or not. Have no idea. But back then, they married for political reasons. And that was an up-and-coming nation. And it was politically advantageous. But exactly what God warned happened would happen. She brought Baal worship and worship of Asherah. And you go, who is Baal? Who is Asherah? We'll talk more about that in a little bit. So, uh, as they they got in... uh, They started worshiping, and God says, this isn't going to work. And so he sends uh, Elijah over to Ahab and says, hey, it's not going to rain. Question, why would Elijah tell Ahab it's not going to rain? Well, Baal was the god of productivity, if you will. He was kind of like Zeus. He was the storm god. And Baal if you worshipped Baal, and and the reason Jezebel got them worshipping, he said, hey, if you worship Baal, you'll get plenty of rain, and your crops will do really, really good, and Baal will take care of you. So God said, you know what? I'm going to come along, I'm going to bring a famine. And the reason God brought a famine is because, it's fascinating, Baal's number one enemy, he kind of had a yin and a yang thing going, Baal was the god of plenty, and Mael was the god of scarcity, and in their belief system, if uh, if famine came, it meant Mael was losing. Excuse me, was winning, and Baal was losing. So God, and I, I uh, sometimes when people think about the Old Testament, like I don't want to talk about the Old Testament. That's boring. It's just, the God of the Old Testament is just angry, and and we just don't. God's not an. God's the same God, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God is strategic because. God is really good at his job. Really good at his job. And sometimes we look for good luck stuff, good things to help us out because we don't we're not sure God's getting his job done. So, God being good at his job, he takes and says, "I'm going to show as a good father that guys, this isn't working." So, he bring he brought famine along not to not to uh, cause a problem, not to punish, not to hurt. Yeah, uh, he didn't. He didn't do it because of that. He did it because they needed to know. Bail's not working for you. It's not working out. So he came right at bail from exactly where they would have expected. If bail's not getting it done, famine's going to happen, and that's exactly what happens. So. Um, the story goes on, and it's, it's kind of a, a long story, so I'm, I'm going to try to skip through it quickly. And uh, the story, a lot of people think the story climaxes at Carmel. It's the exciting part of the story, but it's not where the story climaxes, all right? And uh, um, famine comes, Elijah leaves in chapter 17, and he heads out to the, the book Chinnereth. And uh, over at uh, Chinnereth, he uh, gets fed by ravens, and, and you go, man, this sounds like Homer writing about fantastic, heroic stuff in the Iliad or whatever, or the Odyssey, and it's like, no, this is real stuff. If we're serving a real God, we would expect him to do real things, but if you're having a hard time going, did this really happen? I get it. I get it. I struggled with that when I, was a, when I was a young person a lot, spent a lot of time looking at That's why I like to, to take and think about the history of these things and look into some of the details. It occurs. So now, uh, so he goes and he spends some time there. The, the creek dries up because it's so dry, and he ends up going up to the uh, uh, north to this place called Zarephath. And you go, and it's um, kind of up there towards the top, uh, that top dot up there, the cursor kind of where he's at over there on the left. And Zarephath, believe it or not, was in the area of the Them. That was up in the, that was outside of Israel and it, he was uh, in the area. and uh, I, what I'm trying to say is, is God is really good at what he does. And while God sent Elijah to deal with them, the Baal worshipers and to deal with Baal and to deal with Ahab and Jezebel, God was also working in Elijah and he sent Elijah up to, a Gentile woman, for her to take care of him and him to take care of her. And uh, you got to get into the story. Go read the story there in chapter 17. It's a great story. Some amazing things happen. I'm not going to take the time today to go into it, uh, but uh, go read it. And at the end of the story, uh, God takes care of them, does some uh, amazing things, and uh, um, she tells him, now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. And, and the reason I, I uh, read that verse from verse 24 is because I think Elijah was really craving that. He's like, I'm, I'm doing all these great things for God, but nobody recognizes I'm doing this for God. And I also want to point out that uh, she says, I know that you're a man of God, and that the word of the Lord, if you look there in verse 24, the word Lord is in all caps. Anybody know what it means when uh, the Bible puts the word Lord in all caps? Anybody? There's a very specific reason. I think this is fascinating. And we jump right over. Somebody say something over here? Okay. It is. It's a very specific Lord. So you remember in the Ten Commandments, the the uh, Ten Commandments says don't use the Lord, the um the name of the Lord in vain. So the people who copied the Bible, instead of using the word God's name, Jehovah, they switched it to the word Lord and then put it in all caps. So that we knew, number one, they're not using God's name in vain. And number two, that's the word Jehovah. Kind of a win-win. So I like to read these passages and change that word back to Jehovah. So that, so that I know, and they're, and they're trying to be respectful with God's name. So I, I honor what they're doing. It says, now I know that you're a man of God. God's kind of a broad term. Lots of gods out there. God, lots of people claiming to be God. You are a man of God. And that the word of the Jehovah, very specific God. Even the name Baal isn't that specific. There were several different kinds of different Baals. And sometimes they mention the specific Baal they were talking about. Because the word Baal actually means Lord, believe it or not. Okay, so, or Lord or ruler or owner. Um, So uh, the word of Jehovah is from your mouth. As a prophet, that was medicine to Elijah's soul. I'm in this battle against them, and nobody's respecting me. In fact, they're hunting me down to kill me. Have you ever felt like you had a them you just couldn't get a leg up on? They're constantly constantly just pulling you apart. Can't make any progress. Why am I trying? I, they, they, they won't recognize my efforts, they're not, whatever. Um, right now, I'm part of a pilot union and we're in arguments with management for a new contract. Well, they just won't recognize the value of pilots today. They won't whatever. And and it can get overwhelming. And it can get discouraging. And I think that fed something in Elijah. And I think that really, really hit a nerve there. So uh, God says, alright, it's time now to move on and go to Ahab. So uh, we move on to chapter 18. And uh, Elijah confronts Ahab, and he runs. and, and We got to move quickly, but Elijah comes and and tells uh, 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 Obadiah, "Hey, I I need to get in touch with Ahab." And Obadiah, who is kind of the chief of staff of Ahab's uh, group and of Ahab's household, and, uh, and Obadiah is like, "Hey, I am a follower of the Lord." Specifically saying, I'm worshiper. I'm a worshiper of Jehovah. Very specific. So he says, I, I you got to come with me. I don't just want to run by myself. I've taken care of a uh, hundred different, uh, hundred prophets uh, at risk of my own life. This is dangerous. Go with me to Ahab. So he goes with him to Ahab, and Ahab he says, Ahab, we need to have a meeting, and let's meet on top of Mount Carmel, and let's see who's the real God, Baal, or Jehovah. So, Elijah agrees. Now, I want to point out, back to the Jewish Constitution, if you were proved to be a false prophet, the penalty was death. So when the prophets of Baal agreed to this meeting, they knew one side or the other wasn't leaving alive. This was a battle to the death. So they get up on top of of, uh, Mount Carmel, and... uh, Elijah says to the prophets, or to all the people, because Ahab had gathered everybody together, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. I'm in verse 21 of chapter 18. Uh, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And again, the Lord is in all caps, if Jehovah is God follow him. If Baal, follow him. And the people didn't answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left alone a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Do you ever feel outnumbered against your them? When I'm on the road late at night, coming back from the airport, I feel outnumbered because, especially on Friday nights, Saturday nights, all the cruisers out there just screaming flying down the road, sometimes my them is other drivers on the road, just going to say, alright, so um, and he says, let's do this, uh, he, he uh, I'll, I'll let you read it later, but he says let's let's take and uh, set up two altars you guys put your sacrifice on one, I'll put mine sacrifice on one, and let's pray, and let's see who sends fire we're not going to light the fire, because with the sacrifice you got to have a fire, we're not going to light the fire we'll just see who uh, does it, now, I, I want to point out again this was personal. This was specific because God is really good at his job. He came to deal with the problem of Baal in a very specific way because Baal should have been easily able to bring fire from heaven. He was kind of like Zeus. Lightning was his weapon. And God's taken him on. And uh, so the, Baals, the prophets of Baal pray all morning. Elijah sits there and actually starts mocking them. They start cutting themselves, which is part of what they do. And uh, the, uh, uh, nothing happens. The end of the day comes, and Elijah says, All right, I'm going to pray. This is where it starts getting really interesting. He prays, but uh, notice his prayer, verse 36. Uh, uh, before he prays I just want to point out when he built the altar he dumped a lot of water on it Josh mentioned that a couple weeks ago dumped a lot of water on it because he's like you know what I don't want anybody to go oh you know it just accidentally caught fire you know it's kind of dry out it's been a famine you know kind of forest fire danger you know wildfires it happens no he dumped water on it to make sure this was no accident I'm not doing any tricks here so verse 36 O Lord, God of Abraham, again, O Jehovah, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. That's the problem. The them, the Baal prophets, Ahab and Jezebel, represented the problem, uh, idolatry. And I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. I find it interesting that he's not just wanting people to worship God, He wants to get validated himself. We'll come back to that thought here in a little bit. Um, Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. He wants to see the problem of idolatry. He wants to see the nation thrive again. I mean, they were a shadow of their former selves only 100 years earlier. In 100 years, God had been patient God had shown grace for a hundred years, allowing the, the kingdom to struggle. and God's going, you know what? It's time for some consequences. It's uh, not, again, not punishment, but some uh, uh, an object lesson. So uh, sure enough, fire comes from heaven. And it doesn't just burn up the fire the sacrifice. It vaporizes the rocks. It vaporizes all the water in the trench that they dung around. All of it. And the people respond, the Jehovah, he is God. Jehovah, he is God. God was validated. God came in big. And I can't imagine what that felt like to those people, like Obadiah, who had been an undercover servant of God. He had been protecting prophets for God. I can't imagine how valid. What would it feel like for you to get vindication with your them. Man, it does my heart good. When I see someone who cuts me off and is whipping out of traffic down the road, pulled over by a cop, oh, man. It does me so much good. There's a couple of thems that are a little more personal than that, that, man, I wish wish they could see what God's doing in my life. I wish they could agree with me, and they don't can't imagine the validation that uh reagan felt when the wall started coming down in berlin had to be amazing but you know what yes elijah does go and and uh order the the deaths of the 450 prophets like i said if you're a false prophet the penalty is death and they had just been outed bail was not god you know, he was a lot of god's a god is God's really good at what he does. He's really good at his job. Sometimes we don't see it. But when we do, it's exciting. It's really exciting. But the next scene, Elijah's not dancing. He's not uh, doing a Dion Sanders thing in the locker room. He's not. Instead, he's on the side of Mount Carmel, looking towards the Mediterranean Sea, Mount Carmel, I forgot to point this out. Mount Carmel is that little thing that's uh, pointing out on the edge right up there. That's Mount Carmel there. And he's there looking out over the Mediterranean Sea with his head between his knees. Something's going on. Why? Why is he acting depressed? Fire just, wouldn't, how many times have you said, you know, I wish God would just come and talk to me right here, right now? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wish he would. I wish God would take care of them. That teacher is so unreasonable. Does he not see what I'm doing? And he gave me that grade? Come on. I wish. That's Elijah, head between his knees. And uh, he's watching for uh, a uh, storm. He tells, he sees the storm starts coming over the ocean. He runs to Ahab, tells Ahab, pack up dinner. He, Ahab's eating dinner. And he says, let's go. And uh, it says that Elijah techs up his robe into his belt, and he runs. And he runs from Mount Carmel all the way down to Jezreel, which is at the other end of the Jezreel Valley, and over there towards, uh, a little bit further, there it is. Right there's Jezreel. Hard to see from back there. And, uh, and he runs all the way there, and he beat Ahab and his chariot. The story's not over. If the story were over, we would be like, okay, story's over, done, fire came from heaven, great. Because, yeah, the prophets of Baal, them, got dealt with, but the other them, Ahab's them, hadn't been dealt with yet. So he gets down to uh, Jezreel, and uh, Ahab goes and tells Jezebel what happened, and Jezebel sends a nasty gram some hate mail to Elijah and says, you know what? You killed my prophets. And if you're not dead tomorrow, may the gods do the same to me. In other words, my life or your life. And you know what? I'm the queen. I've got the power. You're a nobody. And, and I've heard so many preachers mock Elijah for this. But Elijah ran. He just called fire down from heaven. running from a nasty gram, something more is going on. When when something in the Bible doesn't make sense, my favorite question is why? Why? I started thinking about why. It's because Elijah is going, God's really good at his job, and and God is always at work. God's been this whole hundred years since the the kingdom split split from Israel and Judah. God wasn't just going, yeah, no, well, no, well, I got stuff to do. He's always at work but sometimes we miss it. God is always at work, but sometimes we miss it. And God's at work right here. Things are going on in Elijah's heart. So Elijah runs, and he runs from uh, Jezreel all the way down south to the very bottom, the bottom dot, in Beersheba. And Beersheba is still around today. Uh, They call it uh, Beersheba. And... uh, Um, I did a Google search last night and figured out how long would it take us to go from Jezreel all the way down to Beersheba. Well, there's this really handy uh, highway out there now, and it would take us about an hour or two hours and 10 minutes, two hours and 30 minutes in a car. So for Elijah, um, and and I I clicked on the walk thing on Google, and it said two days. I'm thinking Elijah did it probably in a day. He was a little motivated, and uh, he just takes off, and and. Apparently, he's a good runner. He's probably in decent shape, He's probably not super heavy, just got done with a famine. And so, he takes off, all right? Gets down to Beersheba, and it says he leaves his servant there, Besheba, and he goes another day into the wilderness. Go ahead and throw that other map up. Another day into the wilderness, and he collapses under a tree. Now, I've been spending a lot of time in Vegas, and uh, the wilderness of Vegas is actually kind of similar to Palestine. Uh, and uh I don't like hiking there I do it because no place else when I'm at work I have to it's the only place I can I'd much rather hike around here but falling under a tree hot dry probably dehydrated but depressed depressed he just got vindication and he's depressed and and the people who say that the Old Testament God, is uh uh mean and vindictive I haven't read this story because most of the preachers that i've heard preach this story they mock elijah for running god didn't god sent instead food and water he's like dude you're hungry reminds me of those hangry commercials <laughs> you're not yourself when you're hungry. Yeah, and, uh, and, and gave him food. And uh, he uh, came, came to him and just took care of him. And uh, Elijah there in verse uh, 4 says, Is it enough now, O Lord, O Jehovah? Take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. Does your them ever get you so low you're ready to end it? Elijah, one of the greatest prophets ever, felt that. You're not alone. Our thems get us down. Overwhelming. And it's hard. And you know what? God doesn't come along and yell at our faces like a football coach and say, get up and get out there and get to. No. He says, rest. Rest. Eat. Drink. Okay, that's the God we serve. That's the Jehovah. And uh, so he sleeps for another day. And uh, then the angel of the Lord wakes him up, which many believe is Jesus coming before he was born, coming in physical form. Jesus himself came to Elijah, gave him some more food, and said, the journey is too hard for you. One of my favorite parts, what Josh said last week, is, is uh, Jesus said that his yoke is light and his burden is easy. I may have those slipped. But the point is, God doesn't give us too much. Uh, I was listening to Ian, my, my middle son, recently. And he says, if, the, if you're carrying a pack that's too heavy for you, and you go to God and you go, God, what's wrong? This pack is too heavy. God's like, well, let's see what's in it. And God starts pulling stuff out of it. And it's like, well, who put this in your pack? I didn't put this in your pack. And there's so many times we're taking stuff on that's not ours. Elijah had a problem that was Ahab, and it was Jezebel, and it was uh, prophets of Baal and Asherah, and they were terrible people. But they weren't Elijah's problem God's really good at his job and when we start taking on God's job he's always at work we don't need to when we start doing that we get overwhelmed that's exhausting and we find ourselves at the point where we're like what's the point point? and God's like oh man I'm so sorry you've taken on more than you need to it's too much for you so in the strength of that food, it tells us, he goes on for another uh, 40 days, and he goes all the way to Mount Horeb, and if you do a little bit of study, you'll find out Mount Horeb is a, another name for Mount Sinai, kind of like Boulder, 17 miles squ- uh, surrounded by reality, uh, s- uh, 17 square miles surrounded by reality, another name for for Boulder. I say that because Zach, my son, is going to school in Boulder, but anyway, um, down south, um, Uh, is Mount Sinai and uh, uh, traditionally at the end of the Sinai Peninsula is where people think Sinai is I don't think it's there and uh, sometimes you want to ask me why but uh, go ahead and go a little bit further south there so Elijah would have gone from Beersheba way down south to uh, a little bit further a little bit further yeah right in there right in there is probably where the uh, actual Mount Sinai is and uh, he hangs out there for a while and he's in a cave and God comes to him, and uh, and uh, comes to him, and it uh, and He talks to him, and it's interesting. In verse uh, verse nine, God comes to him in uh, we're at chapter nineteen, verse nine, and He says, "What are you doing here, Elijah? What you doing?" Now, an angry, mean, vengeful God would be like a football coach. Get your buck back out there. No. Instead of coming with judgment, he comes with curiosity. So if you're hearing what you think is God in your life that's coming with judgment, I don't think it's Jehovah. God comes with curiosity. What are you doing? What are you doing here? And Elijah lets God have it. He said, he rants, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and throw down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I and I only am left. Do you feel like you're all alone? And, he's, and, uh, and they seek my life to take it away. God didn't argue with him. Elijah wasn't right, but God didn't argue with him. And he said, you know what, go out to the edge of the cave doesn't say that he moved. I think he just sat there. And God says, I'm going to come by. And I think this is fascinating because this is Mount Sinai. This is where the Constitution of Israel was given to Israel. This is where God showed himself for the first time ever to a human. And it changed Moses. And it's going to change Elijah as well. And God sent uh, I always get these in the wrong order. God sent a uh, um, tornado. God wasn't in it. And God sent an earthquake. God wasn't in that. And I think God's really good at his job, he's always at work. God sent a firestorm. Elijah really likes fire. Elijah has four different stories of miraculous fire things happening. And this wasn't one of them. Well, if you count this one, it'd be five. But God's like, that's not me. Sometimes we're looking for God to do the big stuff. God's always at work. But he's not always doing big stuff. So sometimes we miss what he's doing. So the next thing God sends a gentle whisper, a still, small voice. And that enticed Elijah to come out of the cave. The still, small voice. And God asked him again, what are you doing here? You know, the still, small voice is really easy to miss. Josh mentioned one of the problems with the them is we get distracted. I think Elijah was distracted. He was distracted from who God is and what God can do. We get distracted with him. God, if you just take care of them, instead of going, God, what can you do in me? And, and here's the thing about the still small voice. You can't tell when God's using it on someone else. You can only, when there's fire from heaven, you kind of know. There was another time when you got to read the story. Go read it. There's a time when Elijah later on is walking, and someone comes to arrest Elijah, and he's like, "Yeah, no," and they're like, "Yeah, yes," and he's like, "No." Fire from heaven. Boom. Five, Fifty guys gone. What happens twice in a row? Third guy comes, and he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, Elijah, just an invitation. You don't have to come." <laughs> okay, you know, it, people notice the big, but God says, "My M O is the little." This is the climax of this story. As Jesus followers, we love Resurrection Day. We love Easter. Good Friday's a little harder. And we need to remember it's that still, small voice. Jesus said, when I leave, because I can't stay physically, it's not good for the earth. I can only be in one place physically. But if I send my Holy Spirit, he can be everywhere better for you because he can do more. God is always, go ahead and put that up, uh, Trevor. God is always at work, but sometimes we miss it. We don't realize God's dealing with them, and most importantly, God's dealing with us. God took and told Elijah, all right, Now that we got that straightened off, I've got a few things for you to do. And he gives him a list thing to do. And he goes, oh, and by the way, there's 7,000 people that haven't even bent a knee, let alone gone wholeheartedly into uh, idolatry. You're not the only one, Elijah. I'm doing a whole lot more than you think. You just missed it. And here's what changed in Elijah. If you look at Elijah through this whole story, and I had to speed through it a little bit, but if you read the story and you see Elijah, there's an angst to Elijah. There's a, people make me angry. But afterwards, there is a quiet confidence. God's got it. Is there a lot of anger in your life? A lot of frustration? at them? That's not God. Yeah, there's some real legitimate thems out there. But God's on it. God's really good at his job. And he's always at work. But sometimes we miss it. So I've got, I've got uh, a little uh, homework assignment. I, I want to be like Josh. And so since Josh gave you homework, I want to give you homework. All right? And uh, pay attention to what you're paying attention to this is actually really similar to what Josh asked you to do pay attention to what you're paying attention to you know in traffic I, this is just an easy uh, example when I'm heading to the airport and I'm trying to catch my commute and and someone cuts me off I go hold on a second instead of going what are you thinking and blah 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 I go, wait a minute what's going on in their life maybe they just got the phone call from their wife that their their uh, kids getting ready to be born and they're like I gotta go and they're not thinking straight I don't know but just because he cut me off isn't about me. doesn't mean they're just like, I, Edwin, you don't matter. I'm going to just trash you. No. Pay attention to what you're paying attention to. When you're distracted with the them, notice it. And then remember God's always at work. He's really good at his job. And tell God, God, I, I see that them so glad you're on the job because if I tired to take it that's idolatry I'm taking your place so God I want to see you do it ask God to help you pay attention to him and his gentle whisper in your life we get so caught up looking for big things I, I had a friend just recently who uh, lost his his wife to heart disease just kind of suddenly. She was doing great. She had a pacemaker. Things were going great. Then some weird things started happening. He wanted healing. He wanted that big miracle. And she died. What do you tell your friend? God doesn't care? God's not at work? How about sometimes He's doing what we don't expect. We're looking for that big thing. And if God doesn't do the big thing, then God must not be with us. No. His M.O. is not. God's secure. He doesn't need to show off. God's big thing is that still, small voice. Pay attention to what you're paying attention to. When you notice the them, ask God to help you go. Let me see it from your perspective. And then in your own life, remember, I'm a them to somebody. God, what are you doing in my life? What do I need? you to do in me let's pray father thank you so much for the time we've had together lord this is a lot of material a big story and a fascinating story lots of parts but thank you that you worked in elijah's heart and thank you that you recognized and validated that his them was huge But he also needed to change. He needed to be transformed by recognizing how you work. Help us to see that the big stuff is exciting, and we can celebrate it. But it's the little stuff. It's the still, small voice that really changes the world. And help us to pay attention to that. In your name, amen. All right.